How how does it feel now that the uh, movie is getting ready to uh, come out? How how are you feeling as far as the uh, release? Well, you know, we're so grateful to have this extraordinary theatrical release, but it is also strange that we had our festival premiere almost a year ago and have mm-hmm. been on tour with the film for ten months from the comfort of our living rooms. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I can imagine. I mean, I know a lot, needless to say, a lot of releases have been thrown out of whack this year with uh, because of the uh, pandemic. I, But yeah, I uh, I watched No Ordinary Man on Sunday, and I absolutely, I absolutely loved it. I was incredibly uh, enthralled by uh, the way you, the way you, you uh, tell the story. So uh, thank, thank you very much, and thank you very much for bringing the story. Uh, what was what was one of the main inspirations behind? Well, okay, first let me start off with how did you first become uh, aware of Billy Tipton? My answer to that question is shared with our co-writer Amos Mack. We are both, you know, trans guys who came up in San Francisco around the same time in the mid 2000s. And, you know, Billy Tipton was always someone who existed on lists on the internet of mm-hmm. trans people you might know from history. But <laughs> the, the information about Billy Tipton is pretty limited insofar as his story has for so long been controlled by the talk and tabloid media, by Diane Middlebrook's book. And so you understood that it was someone who after death was outed as having been assigned female at birth and that was the scandal of his life. And Mm -hmm. so it was really exciting to really dig deep in this project and think, well, what else can we know? And what other questions can we ask if we take the authorial reins away from the mainstream media and put them in the hands of of trans people? Yeah. What What was it like, what was one of the biggest challenges of having being able to tell Billy's story without having any archival footage of him talking about his experience to go off of? You know, for all of the ways in which you could see not having moving image footage of Tipton as a constraint, we saw it as a creative possibility. Mm -hmm. And it's from that place that we started imagining the scenes that arrive in the audition room and other ways that we could animate a story. And for us, it required a deep investment in his music and the kind of audio scraps that appear in the film as the way to feel closest to him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, while we understand that we're trafficking broadly in the sort of music biopic genre, <laughs> we're also turning our backs on it at every turn, yeah. recognizing that we're telling a story about a gigging working class musician. We're not telling a story about Liberace, for example. Mm-hmm. And so I think it requires a different kind of treatment. I'm not sure that moving image footage of Billy Tipton would have offered us that much more, right? Yeah. And instead, we get to think much more creatively and expansively. Yeah, and you you mentioned the audition scenes, and that was one of the most that was one of the most compelling things about the movie for me because of the fact that it's a different take on the idea of reenactments in documentary, and the idea that you have these multiple uh, trans performers playing Billy Tipton in this in these scenes, you get to see 
not only you, do you get to see different actors approaching the material differently, but you also get to see them become more, almost become more of one with Billy's story in that. And I think that's, that's one of the more beautiful things about it. And then you, of course, you have that one scene that several people play where he is confronted with the uh, DJ who is trans as well. And he has that moment. And I love that one. I can't remember who's, who the audition subject is, but you, you're explaining to him sort of like what the what the idea of this scene is, and it just clicks, and it's like, oh my god! And I I love that. I love it when movie. I love it when documentaries find a different way to employ reenactments. I've actually seen a couple of other films that have done not the same thing that you guys do here, but also I but. Think of reenactments in a different way of using them within the documentary format. Right, absolutely. I mean, reenactment is as, as old as documentary, right? Mm -hmm. But I think that there is a moment for us where reenactment is not about a kind of telling of what we already know, but rather a method to investigate and connect in ways that we might not. And, mm -hmm. and so I love the scene that you're talking about is with Alex Davis between Alex and our writer, Amos Mack. And you can't plan for those moments. Mm -hmm. And it's through those kinds of moments that I really came to recognize that our project was about a kind of politics of recognition. So whether it's mm -hmm. Alex recognizing that Amos is a hugely important part of his own self-understanding as a transitioning person, or whether it's Billy Jr. recognizing that there are all these ways in which his father is remembered that sit outside of what he's understood. I think it happens on a number of different registers. What was when when you when you guys were going through the archival footage of the talk shows of the news uh, footage of the day where the the hosts are clearly misgendering uh, Billy? but his wife at the time and Billy Jr. are not. What was the most surprising thing about that? About going through think, on those? Yeah, you know, I think the, the remarkable thing to me about the presence of Kitty Tipton and Billy Tipton Jr. on the talk show circuit is just as you said, they are steadfastly committed to maintaining Billy's privacy, which mm. is to say... We're never going to answer the questions of, but you should have known, but you could, you know, all of the the way, all of the ways in which you hear um, Oprah uh, and Sally Jesse Raphael continue to try to get at the quote unquote truth of mm -hmm. what they knew. They're not moving from any scripts, you know, they are still multiple decades behind this moment that we find ourselves in right now of a greater literacy about trans issues in public. And I think it's remarkable. You know, one of the things that I find useful about the talk show footage in An Ordinary Man is we're not actually looking at trans people on talk shows. We're looking at non-trans people mm. talk about transness on talk shows. So it's this moment of insight into the ways in which the talk and tabloid media are continuing to make meaning about trans people's lives. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, what was what was the experience like in interviewing uh, Billy Tipton Jr. all these years later? It was an extraordinary opportunity. We spent the most time with Billy Tipton Jr. in Spokane. And, you know, he is a product of the same media cultures that we were just discussing. And so he was rightfully suspicious about who we were and why we were trying to tell his father's story in a new way. He very much identifies as the keeper of Billy Tipton Sr.'s legacy. Mm -hmm. He has an extraordinary collection of objects and ephemera and musical instruments and hair tonics and jewelry. And it's the closest that we can get to, mm -hmm. to Billy in body. And it was truly overwhelming and extraordinary to be in the room with him as he opened up to the possibility that his father might have also been someone who was transmasculine and who is now connected to a legacy of transmasculine people. Mm -hmm. What was probably, it, what was the biggest thing that you learned, whether it was as a filmmaker, as a trans man, as just, just as an individual when, while going through the process of this movie? The thing that I love the most about our project and that I learned the most from was a deep investment in collaborative polyvocal storytelling. So always pushing back against the single expert, the single authority, the single narrative. So while our project is about Billy Tipton, it's also about a cohort of transmasculine people mm -hmm. who are living and thriving in the contemporary moment and always trying to think across generations for me and across perspectives is the most valuable documentary pursuit. And, and yeah, I, I do think that having, having all of the people that you have um, in the movie, talking about not only their experiences, but what they get from Billy's, what what they get from Billy Tipton's life, is is one of the one of the richer parts of the documentary because of the fact that it is it does make it a it does put Billy's life into the larger context, even if he is even if he is no longer around to see it. Absolutely. And to recognize that these are all imperfect and incomplete histories, mm -hmm. but that I think as minoritized subjects, we always have to pull and make meaning from what's available. Yeah. Uh, where, where can, I know it is getting a theatrical release, correct? Absolutely. So we premiere at the IFC in New York on Friday night and at the landmark Newark in LA, Newark, pardon me, in LA. And then we spread out in theaters from that point. And there's a list of screenings on the Oscilloscope Labs website. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Well, Chase, thank you very much for your uh, time this morning. I really appreciate thanks. it. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate thank your questions. You. And thanks for paying attention to our film. <laughs> oh, no problem. Thank you. It was a wonderful experience.